be here today. Cut me down just a little bit. I'm glad I can be here today for both the morning services. I want to just go ahead and talk about that real quickly, if I may. Um, <clears throat> next service this morning, I'm going to be speaking some prophetic declarations. These are not anything that I have written down or anything like that. But I'm going to be speaking some prophetic declarations, not like prophetic words, but prophetic declarations over you as a congregation. And I'd really like for you to be here to hear it. It's going to be powerful. I've only done this one other place, and it was at my church back home. We just did it about two weeks ago, and it really turned out powerful. I'm going to be dealing with different levels of prophecy, not Bible prophecy, but prophetic words. I think you'll really find it interesting. It's, I think, an eye-opener, and I believe it'll really bless you. Cut me down just a little bit, if you will, especially up here. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is... Um, I have to leave here. Uh, we had a dear pastor friend of mine die in New Jersey. He pastors a church up there, a great church, been there for many years. He founded it 38 years ago. He just passed away suddenly. His wife went home and found him. He preached both services at his church last Sunday. <clears throat> and so we have his funeral tomorrow in New Jersey, and so we're going up there for that. But uh, that's the reason I can't be here tonight. Love Brother Gary, love Brother Cecil. Wiggins family is like our own family. We appreciate the opportunity to come. I always look forward to coming here. There's not many places that I leave my church for to come and preach on a Sunday, but this is one of the ones I'll always do that because I love these men. All right, today <clears throat> I want to uh, bring you a message. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can. Um, I just finished a series at home, and if you want to, when you get through, if you want to pick it up on the way out, it's called... Um, what, what, do you, what do we actually title that, Tony, that series? Promise to Provision. That's what I'm going to be preaching here this morning. We entitled it Promise to Provision. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about being tested. I didn't say being tempted. I said being tested. One of the things I have noticed is that God usually will test a person before he's about to increase a person. God will usually test a church before he usually increases a church. So I want to talk to you about being tested. There's a passage of scripture in Chronicles that I want to read as my text today. <clears throat> It'll be on the screen. It's going to be in the King James Version. This is actually what it says in the King James Version. Don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. But it says, in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him. Look at that word, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. This is an interesting scripture. When I first read this a number of years ago, I was sort of taken by surprise. Let's look at that one more time. I want you to let, let that resonate in your spirit. It said, in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire the wonder that was done in the land, God left him. <clears throat> Just leave that on the screen for a moment. If God is omnipresent, how can God go anywhere? If he's everywhere, he's omnipresent, how can God leave somebody? I'll tell you how. 
God usually will, if he wants to know what's in your heart, he won't come to you whenever you feel close to God to test you. Whenever you feel chill bumps, you feel close to the Lord, you feel power, you feel anointing, you're not being tested, you're being used then for God. But if you go through a place like I have been through many times where you don't feel the Lord and you don't feel his presence and you haven't felt it for some time, that's not a negative thing. That's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. Now here's what I wanna share with you. If God can't go anywhere, he's omnipresent, how does he leave you? Here's how he does it. He withdraws your consciousness of his presence. He withdraws your consciousness of his presence so that you can't sense him. He's there, but you can't sense him. And the reason why he does that is because he wants to see what you will do when you don't feel that he's near. It said that God left him. Why? To try him. To try him. To test him. To try him. That God might know all that was in his heart. How's God going to know what's in your heart unless he tests that? So, with that established, uh, I want to press on today and I want to I give you some Bible examples of what I'm talking about. Whenever you feel that God has left you, it's important to know that you're going to come up on those times when you don't feel the Lord and it's not a negative thing. It is a time when you are being surveilled. You are under surveillance. There are times when God withdraws the consciousness of his presence and he's still there, but we don't feel like he's there, but he is. That's when you're being tested. Uh, let me jump over right quick and I want to give you these four Ps and then I'll take off from there. I came in the 70s to understand a formula that has ruled, basically ruled my life since the 70s, and they all begin with P's. If you want to, after the service, you can get a copy of the whole series. It's all back there. And I um, really like to encourage you to get it. I'll only be able to cover a portion of it this morning. If you would, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't make notes and just pick up the copies because I'm going to be going so fast you won't be able to give it justice. But there's four P's that I learned a long time ago, and it has basically ruled my life. Everything that I do, I always think about these four P's. I want to see if it affects you the same way it did me. Number one, everything that God has for you, for a church, for your family, for whatever, he always gives it in promise form. Everything God has is given in promise form. After you receive the promise, then the Lord will come back and he will, after you get that and you ascertain that and assimilate that promise, you rejoice, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Then he'll come back when you calm down a little bit and he'll teach you how the promise works. That's called the principle. The principle teaches you how the promise works. 
after you get the principle and you understand how the promise is going to work, then look at me, everybody. I know you're making notes, so don't do that, please. <laughs> look at me. Then he's going to allow you to go through a problem. When you go through the problem, that's going to be when he's going to withdraw your consciousness of his presence to see how you're going to behave to see whether or not he can increase you and bring you into your provision. Okay, here it is. Promise, principle, problem, provision. The four Ps. Let me give you a good example. I'm going to walk you through some things. Let's go to the law of first mention. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God made Adam and Eve. He made man and woman. When he put them in the garden, the Lord actually called Adam his son. My son, Adam. Now that is not to say that he replaced Jesus because Jesus is the only begotten son of the Lord. But Adam was his son. He made him. He created Eve from Adam. God wanted a family, and so he made them free moral agents. He walked out in the garden with them. The Lord would materialize. In the cool of the evening, he would materialize so they could see him, but he was always there, always omnipresent. And so the Lord would materialize in the cool of the evening. He'd walk with them, teach them, talk with them, let them know his heart, let them know how everything worked. God loved Adam because Adam was the highest order of homo sapien. He was the highest order of intelligence before the fall. When God brought the animals before Adam, he had no training, had no books, had no universities. He just knew he did it by the spirit. His spirit was unpolluted and untainted. He, he named them by his spirit, the human spirit. He knew the zoological names. He knew the biological names of all the plants. Highest order of homo sapien. If you looked into the face of Adam, he was chiseled. He had character in his face. He had integrity. His eyes were clear. He was pleasant. He was approachable. He was like the Lord. And then Eve, God made her beautiful, gave her to him as a gift. And they too were one flesh. One day, the Lord walked out in the Garden of Eden and he said to Adam and Eve, he said, I'm going to give you a promise. Here's the promise. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. That's the promise. The principle is, don't touch that tree. That's the principle. Don't touch that tree. Don't eat of it. Don't have anything to do with it. Of all the trees in the garden, they're all yours, but this one right here, and what God was saying is, this is a test. I'm pointing this out to you. As long as I'm in the garden with you, this is never going to be a problem for you. But when you don't see me, and when I haven't materialized in the cool of the evening, you're going to be tested. And when you're tested, don't touch it. Okay, so then after God gave them the principle, don't touch this tree, don't know how long it was, but somewhere in the near or distant future, we don't know how long because Adam lived 930 years. Somewhere 
in the process, after God taught the principle, don't touch this tree, it could have been days, hours, weeks, months, years, decades, or millennia, or uh, centuries. Don't know. But one day, God had not yet come down in the cool of the evening. They were in the garden. Here comes this serpent. And this serpent was beautiful. He was not yet cursed. He didn't crawl on his belly. He talked and could communicate. And he came in and began to try to seduce Adam and Eve, did seduce Eve. The Bible says Adam sinned willfully, knowing that she'd be saved through childbirth. So, he seduced Eve, and a lot of people think that he seduced Eve, and Adam was nowhere around, but the Bible says he was right there with her. And the Bible says she gave to her husband with her. It says it in the scriptures. Listen to this. I don't believe that Eve sinned first. I believe Adam sinned first. Why? Because God had given Adam authority over everything that flew, everything that swam, everything that walked, everything that crawled. God gave Adam authority over everything on the earth. He was the under Lord of the earth. And so whenever that serpent began talking to Eve about God and making, casting aspersions against Jehovah, their Lord, Adam stood right there and kept his mouth shut. It was a sin of omission, and he kept his mouth shut. He never said, hey, shut up. You're talking against my Lord, and you're talking against my Father. But they allowed the serpent to plant his poison. And when the serpent was tempting them, now listen to this, when the serpent was tempting them, God could have stepped out at any moment and materialized. And he could have said, Adam, Eve, wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember what I told you? Don't touch this tree. Don't pay attention to the serpent. Don't pay attention to him. No, God never uttered a word. Why? Because they're being tested. And sure enough, they reached out and they took the forbidden fruit, Eve did. She partook of it, gave it to her husband with her. Now listen to this. As soon as they bit into that forbidden fruit, <clears throat> death was planted in them. And here's what the devil was after. Here's what you need to understand about a temptation. When the devil tempts He's not after one thing, one victory. He's after multiple victories. Because after he planted death in her, and after he planted death in Adam, and he partook of the forbidden fruit, then the devil is trying to maneuver them over to the tree of life. This was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now he's trying to maneuver them over to the tree of life. What is the tree of life? The Bible says if they would have eaten of the tree of life, they would have never been able to die. He said, lest they eat and live forever. So you know what the devil was after? After Adam and Eve partook of the tree of life and death set in, if they would have ate of the tree of life, that would have exacerbated that spirit of death and they'd have never been able to have died in a damned condition. So it's a blessing 
for man to be able to die. It's a blessing to be able to lay down, give up the ghost, lay this body down, which we're all born under curse, and go pick up our glorified body and live with the Lord. But if, if the devil would have had his way, <clears throat> the Lord put angels there with flaming swords at the tree of life to protect the tree of life, lest they would have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then ate of the tree of the knowledge of, of the tree of life, they would have never been able to have died. They'd have been damned forever. So God put angels there with flaming swords and he drove Adam and Eve from the garden. Now let me back up just a minute and ask you a question. Was anything wrong with the promise? No. Did God lie? No. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. That was his promise. The principle was don't touch this tree. The problem was in the problem, they failed the problem and they missed their provision. And I want to ask you this question. I wonder how many times God has made us promises. Wonder how many times God has made the church promises. The work of God, your family, you as an individual made you promises. You said, thank you, Lord. And then after a while, he comes back and he says, here's how it works. Here's how it works. This is the principle. You got it? Yes, thank you, Lord. Then when you go through your period of temptation and God withdraws your consciousness of his presence and you can't sense him anywhere around and you're really being tested I have seen so many people have good promises in their lives and in their pockets that God made to them, prophecies written down in the leaf of their Bible. Yea, I say, thus saith the Lord, I'm gonna do this, 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 and this, and this. Nothing wrong with the promise. But when you get in the problem, you flub the dub. You can't pass the test. You won't pass the test. You won't go through that time of testing and you capitulate, you give in, and you miss the provision. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at Jesus for a minute. I'm going from the Old Testament now, and I could take you through Abraham, I could take you to David, I could take you to Joseph, and I may do it before I'm finished here today, but I could take you to Elijah. I could take you right on down. It works the same for everybody. It works the same for me, and it works the same for you. And let's watch Jesus. The Bible says about Jesus. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass, Jesus being baptized and praying, the heaven was open. Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven, promise, this is my son. That was the father putting his stamp of approval on the man being baptized in the Jordan by his cousin, John. This is my son. Amen. Thou art my beloved son. I am well pleased. Now, look at this. Interesting. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan after he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Look this way, everybody. Was led by the Spirit to be tested Listen, God had only one son without sin, but he never had a son without testing. God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without testing. Adam was tested and so was Jesus. I'm going to show you how his testing came. 
The Bible says that, go back to that verse 1. It said he, he was led by the Spirit. Now look, this was no accident. You've got to understand sometime when you don't feel the presence of the Lord, when you don't sense that God is near, you've got to understand it's no accident what you're going through. Amen. This is no accident. You're being tested. I have been tested many times. If God ever gets ready to step me up, in my stature as a minister, in my leadership as a leader in the kingdom of God, if he ever gets ready to step me up, he tests me every step of the way. And he'll test you every step of the way. Now watch this. Verse 2 says, And being 40 days tempted of the devil, in those days he did eat nothing. When he ended, he was hungry. Now let's talk about that for a minute. You can live off your own fat for sure for 40 days. I could probably live off mine for 120 days. But Jesus lived off, of his, a, a person that's fasting can live off their own fat for about 40 days and then it begins to burn muscle. That's when starvation sets in. When your body quits feeding off of the fat and it starts feeding off the muscle, that's when starvation sets in. And so the Bible says after 40 days, he did eat nothing, and when the 40 days were ended, he hungered. Now he's hungry. Listen, the devil knows exactly when to hit you. He won't hit you when you're full. He's going to hit you when you're hungry. Are you listening to me? Watch this. The devil said unto him, if you be the son of God, and I'm not going to go through all this because everybody knows this, but let me just explain it to you. The devil says, if you be the son of God, take these stones, turn them into bread. He took him up to the pinnacle of the temple. How he did that, I don't know. Did he wrap his arm around Jesus and fly up to the pinnacle of the temple? But the Bible says he took him. Did he fly up to the pinnacle of the temple and said, look at all this. If you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He tempted him. And the Bible says that Jesus came back at the devil every time he was principled. The temptation came. The test came. The promise was, this is my boy, I'm pleased with him. The test came, stay in the word. Respond in a principled way. Don't respond in your emotions. Look this way, everybody. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Jesus was never a reactionary. He was always a responder. You know, part of our problem is that we are reactionaries. Somebody slaps us on the cheek, you know, we're going to knock them out if we can. That's reaction. They slapped Jesus on the cheek. He turned the other cheek. He responded. He was principled. He didn't fly off the handle. He didn't cuss. He didn't get revenge. He was in control. And so the Bible says that Jesus went through all these temptations. He was principled. This is my son. He was principled. He stayed in the confines of the word. And when the devil got through tempting him, look at this. When the devil got through tempting Jesus, it said, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And look at this. This is so interesting. There went out a fame of him. Look at me, everybody, and listen to what I'm going to tell you. How many people have gotten fame before they were tested? How many people have gotten fame before they were put through God's crucible to see whether or not they could handle the fame. 
You see many movie stars, they become famous. Where are they 10 years later? Where are they 25 years later? Many of them are on food stamps. Many of them are busted. Many of them don't look anything like they used to look. Their wealth is gone, the Rolls Royces are gone, the mansions are gone, why? Because they came into fame before they were tested to see whether or not they could bear the fame. What happens to preachers? What happens to churches? A preacher comes in, he's gifted, he's articulate, he's handsome, he preaches, the church starts growing, he builds a mega church, all of a sudden fame, he's known around the world, He's been uh, through some things, but he's never really been tested. God's anointed him, God's blessed him, but when he goes through his time of testing, he falls. A woman, another man, pornography, alcohol, whatever it may be, money falls. Here's the classic case in the Bible where the Bible says that Jesus' son was proclaimed, this is my boy, poof, takes him in the wilderness, was led by the spirit there. He's got to be tested. He was tested. As soon as he was tested and he passed it with flying colors, the Bible said a fame went out of him. Look at it again. It says a fame went out from him throughout all the region round about. Now look at this, this is so interesting. Now fame comes and when fame comes, that's gonna be the drawing power for his ministry. How many people have had a ministry but they've never been tested? How many churches have had prophetic words and God has made all kind of promises to the church but yet in the time of testing the church folded like a clam and everybody just went their separate ways, the church is up for sale, what happened? When the fame came, they couldn't take it, why? When the fame came, they hadn't been tested in order to bring about the fame resting on their shoulders. So when the fame came to Jesus, he took it in stride. He bore up under it. And the Spirit of God could use him and work through him because now no matter how famous he gets, he's principled, he's submitted to the Father. And so in the time of testing, Jesus passed it with flying colors. In the time of Adam and Eve's testing, the first Adam, they failed it with flying colors. And that's why Jesus is known as the last Adam. Let me give you this quickly, I gotta hurry. Let me cover Israel. I won't be able to go any further, I don't think, but let me cover Israel right quick. The Bible talks about Jesus. The Bible talks about the wilderness. And it talks about how Israel went through the wilderness. And the Bible talks about Jesus, how Jesus went through the wilderness also. It'll be on the screen in just a moment. We're gonna talk about the wilderness. When Jesus, when, when Israel went through the wilderness, in Deuteronomy 6, it shall be when the Lord has brought you into the land which he swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities which you built not, houses full of all good things which you filled not, wells dig which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees which you didn't plant, 
when you will eat and have been full. Then beware, lest you forget the Lord, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, let me explain that to you. God found Israel in Egypt. I believe when they came out under the blood, I believe that was a strong salvation message. Everybody listen to what I'm going to tell you, and I don't want you to forget what I'm going to tell you. I'm not one that winks at sin. But neither am I one that believes that any little thing you do is going to jeopardize your soul. I don't wink at sin. I'm strong against sin. I preach against sin. But when God brought Israel out from under the lamb, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he brought them out under the blood. That was a sign, a, a type, and a sign, a shadow of salvation. When he got them to the Red Sea, he brought them through the sea. That was a type of water baptism. When he got them out on the other side of the Red Sea into the wilderness, he led them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. That is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now God is going to lead them into the promised land, but before he can, he's got to test them. And he puts them in the wilderness. I want everybody to listen to what I'm going to tell you. Don't forget this. Jesus went in the same wilderness Israel went into. It took Israel 40 years to get through it. It took Jesus 40 days to get through it. Do you know why? Jesus understood the wilderness. Jesus understood I'm being tested. Jesus did not get depressed. He did not feel rejected. He did not feel abandoned. He knew that his father was still with him. He knew I'm just going through a test. I'm going to pass this test. The fame is going to spread. I'm going to have a ministry. He understood that. He went through the same wilderness Israel went through in 40 days. It took Israel 40 years. Listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you. You can extend your stay in your problem if you don't understand your problem. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In the wilderness with Israel, they had three options. Just like you've got three options. They had three options. What was the option? When God led Israel into the wilderness, now they're being led by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Remember, they came out under the blood. That was salvation. They came through the Red Sea. That was a type of baptism. They were now led by the Spirit in the wilderness. That means the Holy Spirit was with them, working with them. And I can't tell you that Israel died and went to hell in that wilderness. I believe God was displeased with them. And I believe that they were stiff-necked against the Lord. But I can't tell you that they died and went to hell. I can't tell you that. I don't know. I know he was, he was displeased with them. But I do know that coming out under that blood is powerful. And I do know going through that water is powerful. But how many of you knows you can live on this earth and miss the Lord and fail the Lord in your earthly life, but God still can secure your soul? And you say, Brother Kilpatrick, do you believe that once saved, always saved? No, I don't. I'm just telling you, I'm painting you a picture of what the Bible, I'm preaching the Bible to you. And I can't tell you that they went to hell, but I will tell you this. They had three options. You've got three options. When they got on the other side 
of the Jordan, they entered into the wilderness. And so one of the first things the Lord did when he got them on the other side, and they've now, Pharaoh and his army's been floating upside down in the Red Sea. They took their timbrels and they began to dance and they began to sing, the Lord, our God, our strength, our song has now become our victory. And they just rejoiced because Pharaoh and his army was dead. God helped them. And as soon as God helped them, they got them in the wilderness now and the Red Sea has served its purpose. It's destroyed Pharaoh. It's actually, it actually destroyed the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time. 600 chariots, Pharaoh, Israel was, uh, Egypt was decimated because of God's people. God decimated a whole nation for his people. And they rejoice for a few days and then God brings them to the waters of Marah. And when they get to the waters of Marah, they had an attitude. And God said, how's the water, boys? It's bitter. And the water of Marah means bitterness. Bitter. And they spit and they sputtered and they murmured and they complained. And here's what the Lord basically said. I'm, I'm, I'm adding this in here. He didn't actually say it. I'm just saying this. The Lord said, okay, the water's bitter. Got a little attitude problem. Take another lap. They took another lap. They came back to the waters of Marah. How's the water? Bitter. God said, take another lap. Now he actually, if you read the Bible, the Lord actually had good water for them but he gave them the bad water first to show them their attitude. You know what? <laughs> Sometimes a test is not for God's information as much as it is your information. I remember one time when I was pastor in Brownsville. I was fasting. It was in the 80s, 90s, I guess, 80s, I guess, 80s. And I'd been fasting for like, I think, 13 days, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. But it's about 13 days, I think. And I told Brenda, I said, now I'm gonna be fasting, honey. You, you just, at nighttime you cook for the boys and I'm not gonna be eating at night. And I told Rose, my secretary, I said, when it comes time to eat, they'll think I'm going to lunch. I'm just gonna go down to the municipal auditorium down by the bay and I'm gonna sit there and read my Bible and pray. She said, okay. So I've been doing this about 13 days. One day I left the office at Brownsville, pulled out on Mobile Highway when I got out on Mobile Highway, there was a car coming off of Mobile Highway, and there was a pawn shop sitting right here, and the road went, there was a little off-road went behind the pawn shop. And then Mobile Highway was this way. Well, when I pulled up here to the stop sign, this guy coming down Mobile Highway didn't put on his blinker. And so whenever I got up there to where Mobile Highway was, I pulled out, and he just swerved and pulled over right in front of me. Well, when he did, he shot me a bird. Y'all know what that is, don't you, here at Evangel Temple? He shot me a bad sign. Well, when he did, I got right in behind him. I was right on his bumper. My nostrils were flaring. I was mad as a hatter. And I was chasing him. I was right on his bumper, and I dare you do that to me. Who do you think you are shooting me a bird, man? And I mean, my nostrils were flaring. And I'm 13 days in a fast, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, what you gonna do when you catch him? I said, I'm gonna beat the snot out of him. <laughs> and, and then I, I, I let my foot off the brake, uh, off the gas, and I put brakes on, pulled off side of the road, and I said, Lord, 
I said, I'm so sorry. Here's what I said. I said, Lord, I didn't know that was in there. You know what the Lord said? I did. And I allowed it to show you in your time of fasting and praying and trying to draw near to me. If you're going to draw near to me, this has got to go. So the Lord said to Israel, how's the water? Bitter! Go again. He actually had good water for them, but he was testing them with the bad first to see what their attitude was. And they finally had to make laps until finally somebody says, hey, I've seen that fence post before. I've seen that beer can before. My God, we're going in circles. And finally somebody wake, they wake up and they say, the Lord said, how's the water? Oh, thank you for the water. Listen. Until you get rid of a murmuring spirit, you're going to go in circles. Until you get rid of a complaining and a murmuring spirit, fault-finding spirit, you're going to go in circles. You're going to take another lap. You may possibly take another lap your whole life. In circles. How's the water? I've learned now by preaching this, when the Lord said, how's the water? I said, ooh, it smells like rotten eggs, but thank you for the water. Amen. <laughs> and then, after they begin to take another lap, here's what I begin to figure out. In life, you're either going to go circular or you're going to go linear. Jesus went linear and he crossed that same wilderness in 40 days. Israel was in the same wilderness and because they could not get their attitude right, they wandered for 40 years. The second option, I'll be through in five minutes. The second option is your bones will bleach. What does that mean? Does that mean you're going to hell? It's possible, I guess, but I don't know that that's the case because the Bible said that everybody over the age of 20, except Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. And the Lord said this. He said in Hebrews, they could not come into my rest. In other words, he wouldn't let them come into his promised land. Houses, here's the promise. Houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant. Magnesium, iron ore, silver, gold, all this is yours. Land of flowing milk and honey, this is yours. This is a promise. Principle, keep your attitude right. Worship me as God, keep your attitude right. You're the servant, I'm the master. I know best, you're subservient to me. So the second option is your bones can bleach. You know what? <clears throat> it's like you pull your pockets out full of promises, full of promises, full of promises. Everything that God does in your life is in promise form. Like the song we used to sing in children's church when I was a kid. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Everything that God does in your life, he starts with a promise. And they had promises. 
houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant, all this stuff, land of flowing milk and honey, promises, promises, principle. When I tested you, you did nothing but murmur for 40 years. You went in circles for 40 years. Now your bones are going to bleach. I'm going to bring your kids in. You said I couldn't bring your kids in. I'm going to bring your kids in. But your bones are going to bleach in the wilderness. Did they go to hell? I don't know. But I will say this. They never made it into their promise. And there was nothing wrong with the promise. The promise was valid. It was from God but they could not go in and their bones bleached. The third option in the wilderness is stand and enter. Third option, stand and enter. What do I mean by that? Only two that left Egypt with Moses above the age of 20 was Joshua and Caleb. You know what the Bible says about them? Out of two and a half million people, out of two and a half million people, only two disciplined their attitude. And after 40 years, now they're 80 years old, Joshua and Caleb said, give me this land. And they're 80 years old. They still got that indomitable spirit about them. Give me this land. We can do it. Moses, we can do it. I don't care if there are giants there. We can do it. Now Moses is dead. Joshua's leading the children of Israel. Joshua looks over at Caleb. Those two that had that indomitable spirit, we can do this. Don't care what the obstacles are, God's with us. I believe the promises are valid. And they entered, they stood and they entered. Here's where I want to close it today. I want to ask you this question. Are you being tested? Are you being tested? I can't answer that for you. I can only answer that for myself. But here's what I've learned. I came in contact with this information that the Lord gave me in the 70s. And ever since that time, I've never let that formula ever leave my mind, not one day of my life. That doesn't mean I'm perfect, no. It means I have to repent like everybody else. But I always can tell when I'm being tested because the Lord doesn't just <laughs> remove your, his consciousness of your presence like that. The Lord will gradually remove your consciousness of his presence so that you can't sense him. And then all of a sudden, it may go on for a day it may go for a month, it may go for six months, it may go for a year. But as surely as the Lord withdraws your consciousness of his presence, he will restore it. Hallelujah. But here's the question I want to ask you. When he restores it, will you be able to take the fame after you pass the test? Keep an humble spirit and God will bless you. Amen. God bless you, Pastor. Thank you. Amen. If you would please stand with me this morning. What a word from God. We, the church, I know many times feel battle-tested, and uh, you've gone through things in your life, and even maybe right now you're going through something in your life, and, and uh, you, you, many times we find ourselves bending towards the wrong things. 
And uh, it's my prayer that let the Lord find me always bent towards him. In a humble and a meek fashion that no matter what comes at me, no matter what calamity or trial or tribulation, no matter what the enemy sets in front of you, no matter what darts he shoots at you, let the Lord always find your posture bent towards him. With every head bowed and every eyes closed in this place, if you're in this house and you say, Pastor, before we conclude this service, I just want to make sure that I'm right with the Lord. And if you have a spiritual need in your life, maybe you're not saved here this morning. Maybe you've fallen away from the Lord and you just need to reconnect with the Lord or you just have a spiritual struggle going on. And maybe there's a testing that's turned into a temptation. Maybe you've allowed temptation in your life to get to a place where you're falling to that temptation. And you just want the Lord right now to come in and touch you and you have that need. I want you just to raise your hand across this place. Just signify that. If you have any type of spiritual need with a hand lifted high, that God can see your hand. Amen. I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful this morning that you're my life changer. And I ask you to take over every area of my life as I submit to you. I thank you this morning that you are my Lord, my shepherd. And from this day forward, I never want to be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to lift your hands this morning. I want to remind you before you leave, if this word has been sown into your life, please come and drop an offering, a special offering envelope in these baskets or see an usher as you're leaving, that we sow into this word if it's been a blessing in your life. Heavenly Father, I bless this room. And God's so thankful today for the rich word, the absolute truth. So many opinions in our world. God send people astray. Cause people, Lord, to turn and walk away from the faith. Throw in the white towel. Cause people to doubt themselves, have insecurity. But God, there's nothing like the richness of the absolute truth of your word. That is true. That is stable. And God, I pray today with that being the bar, the measuring stick of our life, I pray as we look and reflect that you give us life change. Help us, Lord, to go out and be world changers, God, in our own way. I pray that you would encourage this people as we go to life groups and Sunday school classes or go on our way throughout the week. Protect us and keep us safe as we go. We love you, Lord, and we look to you and thank you today for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you as you're dismissed to Sunday school.